0: What's going on, people? How you doing? All right. It is good to be with you this morning. My name is Eric, location pastor uh, over at our Arlington location. And so this morning, uh, we're going to be at Psalm 103. Open your Bible. Let's go ahead and head to Psalm 103. We'll focus on verses 11 through 14 this morning. Psalm 11, uh, Psalm 103, verses 11 through 14. And will you do me a favor? Can we stand for the reading of God's word this morning? We're doing this because we are embodied creatures, the positions of our bodies matter, and I think sometimes it is good for us to reposition our bodies so that we can sense and feel the seriousness of what we're reading this morning, because these aren't regular words, these are the very words of God. And so let's take a moment and let's read this. Psalm 103, verses 11 through 14, here it is. It says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And this is the word of God. You may have a seat. Let's take a moment and pray together. Father, we love you. And we are so grateful for who you are. We're so grateful for what you've done for us. And Father, we are here today with our full selves, with our fears and inadequacies and worries and limits. And we offer all of these up to you, knowing that our lives are better in your hands than they are in ours. So Father, I pray that you will help us to sit beneath your word, and help us to say in our heart of hearts this morning, whatever you're telling me to do, God, this morning, I'm going to do it. Amen. Father, will you help us? I pray these things in the name of Jesus, if you agree. Say amen, amen. amen. Now listen, um, over the last couple of years, uh, there's been many people in Hollywood who've been bemoaning uh, this fact. They've been saying that the concept of the movie star is dead, that there's no longer any movie stars. They're saying that there used to be this concept of when a specific actor was able to carry an entire film, and it doesn't matter what the movie was about, that if this actor was in it, it was going to be a box office success, right? And so we can think of people like Tom Hanks or Julia Roberts or Will Smith. If they were in the movie, the movie was going number one at the box office. It doesn't matter what the movie was about. It could be about washing paint dry. Right, uh, it, the, the, If that actor was in it, it was gonna be number one at the box office. However, that's changed. And there doesn't seem to be that kind of person anymore that can carry, that, f- carry the film in that kind of way. And that's led many people to believe that the concept of the movie star is dead. There's many different ideas of what killed the movie star. But that, that great film director, Quentin Tarantino, he has an idea. And he says what killed the movie star is Marvel. Quentin Tarantino, he said this, he said part of the marvelization of Hollywood is that you have all these actors who have become famous playing these characters, but the actors are not the movie stars. Captain America is the star, or Thor is the star. It's these franchise characters that have become a star. So to summarize what he's saying, he's saying that Hollywood has become marvelized because actual people have ceased to be the stars of the movies. The superheroes are now the stars, we go to see them. And hear me this morning, I personally think that Hollywood has become marvelized because our lives already are. And he said, woo, y'all don't even know what I mean yet. <laughs> let me tell you why, let me tell you why. We live in a world in which everyone is trying to become superhuman, everybody. The superheroes are the stars because that's who we aspire to be. Like, I'm not saying that we're all trying to be Black Panther or Captain America or something like that. What I'm saying is this. There's a feeling in all of us that who we are is never enough. There's a feeling in so many of us that there's this desire to exceed our human limitations, especially here in D.C. If you're like me, you wish you could exceed the time limits on your life because you can't get done all the things that that, that you think you need to get done. You wish you could be the person that everybody expects you to be. You wish you could be everything at once. You wish you could know everything. And you can't do it, and that's led to so much anxiety and worry in your life. Um, Author and cultural critic, Tara Burton, she she actually puts it uh, this way. She said, um, our economic, cultural, and personal lives are suffused with the notion that we can and should transform ourselves into modern day deities, simultaneously living works of art to be admired by others and ingeniously productive economic machines. What she's saying is this. There's a pressure in all of us to be more than human in order for us to be admired and in order for us to produce more and more and more and more and more, and we can't do it, and it's incredibly exhausting. But it hasn't stopped you because tomorrow on January 1st, you are going to re-up your quest to become superheroes. You got all these goals that you plan all of a sudden because you think that the key to becoming a superhero is some time hack or, or, or some kind of productivity um, hack or better time management. And hear me, don't get me wrong, time management is a good thing. Productivity is a good thing. We should all work hard, but hear me out this morning. What if your limits are good things rather than bad things? Hear me out this morning. What if you're not meant to be a superhero this year? What if you're meant to be satisfied with being a regular human being this year? What if the joy and life that you are looking for is not found in breaking your creaturely limits, but actually accepting and receiving your creaturely limits? And this leads me to Psalm 103. Psalm 103, it begins like this. David is in a situation where he is tempted to forget about who God is and what he's done. See, we don't know the exact situation, but if you've been a follower of Jesus Christ long enough, you've been there. You've been in a hard situation. You've felt the disappointment. You've been in a dry place. And during that time, you've been tempted to not believe God and who he's declared himself to be. And you've been tempted to say, "God, this is hard. How can you be good, and how can you allow me to go do this at the same time?" And Psalm 103 is a helpful test, because when David is in that situation, when he's in a hard season and with his emotions are getting the best of him, I love it because here he's declared, "I'm not going to drift along with my emotional state. I'm going to inform my emotions with the truth of who God has declared himself to be. And so Psalm 103, 1, David says this. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. I love it. David is saying here, he said, listen, I'm in a season of life where I need to remember and call to mind all the amazing things that God has done for me. Amen. But hear me out. As you progress through this Psalm, that's not all that David does. David just just doesn't remind himself of all the amazing things that God has done for him. God, he also reminds himself of how God relates to him, of how God feels about him. And we see this throughout this whole chapter, especially in verses 11 through 14. And today, if you're going to live your life in 2024 as a human being, you have to remind yourself how God feels about you, how God sees you, how God relates to you. So today, I'm going to give you encouragement during this sermon. As we move towards 2024, as limited human beings who can't do it all, and neither are you supposed to, how do you deal with that? It's the first thing I'm going to give you. We are able to accept our limits when we know God's heart towards us is one of steadfast love. We're able to accept our limits when we know that God's heart towards us is one of steadfast love. Hear me this morning. God's love for you is great. And David in verse 11 reminds himself of that. Remember, he's in a season where he needs to remind himself of who God is. And he says in verse 11, he says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your steadfast love towards those who fear him. And the point of this verse is this. Except the distance between the heavens and the earth is immeasurable, and so is God's great love for you. It's immeasurable. I love it because theologians declare that God and his attributes are incomprehensible. And when they call God incomprehensible, they're not saying that we can't understand God. We can understand God because God has revealed himself to us in ways that we can understand. But what it's saying is that his his attributes are incomprehensible. It's because we understand things like his love in a very, 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 very small way compared to how big his love is. So McLean Bible Church, if you think you understand God's love, if you think when you hear God loves you and you think, oh, I already know that, you think you know, but you have no idea. You have no idea how big and wide his love is towards you. You got no idea. And so my question for you this morning is this, are you willing to receive that kind of love? My question for you this morning is, don't you want to experience the love that, like the Apostle Paul declares, he says it's a love that surpasses all knowledge? And let me tell you this morning, one of the ways that we accept God's love for us is that we are willing to accept the limits of obedience that he places on us. One of the ways that we accept God's love for us is that we are willing to accept the limits of obedience that God places on us. So Gabe's playing the piano. Y'all are like, why is he out here so early? He's gonna help me out with an analogy. And so I'll give you this analogy. So, so Jamie Foxx, uh, he's an actor, um, a comedian, uh, yeah, singer, all of that. And there was a movie that, in which um, Jamie Foxx played Ray Charles. And so in order for Jamie to get into character, he actually sat down with Ray Charles and they sat next to each other playing the piano. So Jamie's nervous, he's sitting beside Jamie Foxx playing the piano because Jamie Foxx he can play the piano, he's an amazing musician, but he's not Ray Charles. So he's sitting beside Ray, they're both playing the piano and Jamie's so nervous he hits the wrong note. And Ray Charles literally gets upset that he hits the wrong note. And uh, he, he, look, he doesn't look at Jamie, but he, he says to Jamie, he says, why would you do something like that? And Jamie gets so flustered, he, he, he starts stuttering a little bit. And Ray says to him, son, the notes are right under your fingers. You just got to learn to play the right one. And I love what he's saying there, catch what Ray Charles is saying to Jamie Foxx. He's saying that in order for you to play the piano in the way that it's intended to be played, all the notes are not available to you at any given moment, right? Question for you, I hope this thing reaches. Have you ever heard a kid play the piano? Let me show you. Because listen, I got my kid, uh, one of my kids, I got him a piano for Christmas, and when he goes to school next week, I'm already about to hide it in my car trunk because let me show you how he's playing it right now. That's how he's playing it. He's playing all the notes. He doesn't understand the concept of limits. He doesn't understand that when you play the piano and to play it beautifully, that you're limited. That you're limited by time, uh, by, 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 by time. you're limited by key, you're limited uh, by chords. Kids play the piano by hitting all the notes at the same time and it doesn't sound great. And for beauty to happen on the piano, there has to be the idea of limits. It's like what Ray said. Ray said, the notes are all under your fingers. You need to learn how to play the right ones. But hear me today. What if that quote is not simply true of the piano? What if that quote was also true of life? Amen. What if the beautiful life of experiencing and displaying God's great love for you what if the beautiful life of experiencing and displaying his steadfast love happens when you accept the limits that God gives you rather than rejecting them? Yes. Y'all, we actually see this at the very beginning of the Bible. At the very beginning, God creates a world that's good and yet incomplete. He puts two people in the world and he says, listen y'all, y'all have fun. Enjoy the beautiful creation that I've given you. Make something beautiful with the raw creation, the keys of creation that i placed beneath your fingers. Name the animals, cultivate creation, reproduce and multiply and teach them to do the same exact thing. Play on this beautiful instrument of creation that I've given you. However, here's a note that I don't want you to play. I do not want you to eat of this fruit over here because if you eat of it, you will die. So do you see what's happening there? In the very beginning, God gives Adam and Eve limits. He gives them limits. And in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve reject the limits that God has placed on their lives. The enemy tempts Adam and Eve to believe that God giving them limits was him withholding his love rather than him expressing his love. They believe that lie, and they reject their God-given limits. They eat the fruit, sin enters creation, all because they rejected those limits. And hear me this morning. We've all done the same exact thing. We've all rejected the limits of obedience that God has given us. And because we've rejected those limits, God is perfect. He has to punish sin because sin isn't simply making a mistake like playing the wrong note. Sin is staring God in the face and saying, God, I reject you. And God is just. He has to punish sin. And yet, the reason in this psalm in verse 11, that David can call God's love steadfast is that God did not leave us in our sin, that we have a God in heaven who sent his son, Jesus Christ, for us. Jesus willingly comes, and he demonstrates a life that played all the right notes. He lived a perfect life in full obedience to his Father. He dies in our place, experience of wrath that we deserve for our disobedience. Jesus doesn't just do that. He rises again in power, proving that he has victory over sin set and death in the grave, giving anybody an opportunity to have a right relationship with God. What we do is we confess our sin and we trust in Jesus' work, his perfection, him playing all the right notes that that was enough to pay for our sin. And y'all, listen to me. We can experience God's steadfast love. That verse says, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Hear me this morning. Obedience does not earn God's love. Hear me, obedience is trust in God's love. This is part of what it means to fear God. To fear God is saying this, God, I don't want to find out what happens to me when I step outside of the limits of obedience that you've given me. God, I don't want to step outside of that. I know as Psalm 16 says, that the boundary lines for me have fallen in beautiful places. I don't want to go outside of that. I trust that I got a good thing right here. And hear me this morning. One of the ways that you know that you've accepted God's steadfast love for you It's that you now refuse to go outside of the limits of obedience that God has set for you. Gabe, I appreciate you playing. Thank you, brother. Thank you for coming out of playing. Y'all give it up for Gabe. I'm good? Okay, perfect. All right. And I want to move on to another point um, because I think we all get that one, right? I think we all get that one of the ways um, that, that God has shown his love towards us It's by giving us the limits of obedience. But hear me this morning, one of the ways that God demonstrates his love to us as well is through the limits of our bodies. Through the limits of our bodies. Hear me this morning, we are able to accept our creaturely limits when we realize that God responds to them with compassion. I want you to look at verses 12 through 14. And one thing I love is I love that these verses are together. Hang with me, because in these verses, it shows us that God acts differently in response to our sin than he does our bodily limitations. Look at verse 12. It says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. Check this out. Verse 12 declares that God removes our transgressions from us. And we just talked about that. We experienced that in the gospel, that Jesus takes our sin upon himself and we can now know the Father's love. However, I love how these verses are together because while verse 12 declares that God removes our transgressions from us, verse 14 declares that he shows compassion to our bodily limitations. Verse 14, y'all, is a verse that screams limits. And when it talks about us, that verse doesn't say that you're able to be a superhero. What that verse declares is this, that you're dust. That verse declares that you are fragile, that you are time-bound, that you are limited. And in this verse, that's not a bad thing. In this verse, that's actually a good thing because your limitations, your dustiness, are the place where God wants to meet you with his compassion. That's where he wants to meet you. God knows your bodily limits, and his response to you isn't try harder. His response to you isn't do more. His response to you isn't get to my level. Our God in heaven says, no, nah, I'm going to meet you right where you are. I'm going to meet you there. And the reason why I'm hanging out on this point is this. It's because we live life in a world in which we are made to feel guilty for our bodily limitations. Y'all, if you're like me, most of the days, you lay your head down on your pillow at night and you feel guilty because you didn't get done all the things that you felt like you were supposed to get done. And I talk to many of you and you feel this way. So many demands on your time and energy and couple that with social media and advertising and comparison and you're tempted to believe that if you're, going to, if you're going to live a fulfilling life, you gotta do it all. That you gotta be a superhero. So you gotta be super employee and super friend and super fit and super parent, and you gotta play all the notes at the same time because that's what everybody else is saying that you gotta do. But hear me this morning what God has called you to do is gonna fit within the limitations that He's given you. What God has called you to do will fit inside the limitation that he's given you. He's given every single one of us 168 hours a week, different sets of abilities, different amounts of capacity, and what God has called you to do will fit inside of that. And that feeling of guilt that you have when your priorities exceed your limitations is not conviction from the Holy Spirit. It's not. I'll say it this way and I'll put it on the screen. God gives conviction for your sin, he gives compassion for your limitations. Y'all don't confuse the two. You stop feeling guilty because you're not a superhero. Remember, God's response to your sin is different than his response to your limits. I'm gonna give you an analogy to drive it home. I don't know if anyone has ever seen the, uh, the show Undercover Boss. I love this show and I'll explain to you the premise of the show. It's just like it sounds. The CEO or the founder of the company, what he ends up doing is he goes undercover, like he puts on work clothes, and he becomes a new employee at his own company. And what makes it a show is this, is that the workers don't know that the boss is among them. They don't know. The boss presence doesn't carry much weight because the people don't recognize him. And because of that, some employees use that as an opportunity to do whatever they want to do. Right, so, so, so some employees, they, check, they, uh, they clock out early, they cut corners. So for some, when the boss comes down, he learns about their character. But in every single show, there's somebody where he learns about their limits. He learns about their humanity. If you've seen the show, there's always one. There's always one among the workforce who, man, they're just having a hard time and they walk uphill to work both ways and they lost their car, and and, and life is hard. And I love the end of the show. End of the show, the boss reveals himself, and everybody's shocked, and then what happens? He goes off from the person who flouts the limits of the rules, and he shows compassion to the ones who express the limits of their humanity. And I love it because in verse 12 to 14, that's what we see. I love it. In the Christian faith, we have a Savior who came down to earth, and he cloaked himself in humanity. And he shows compassion to those who, experience, who are experiencing the limits of their humanity. Amen. I love it how he shows compassion to the sick. He shows compassion to the poor. He shows compassion to the down and out. We have a God who looks at us, and he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. And so your question may be, okay, Eric, that sounds good. What do I do with all this? How do I live in a way that actually demonstrates that I believe all that? How do we experience joy in our limitations? And there's so much that I can say, but i want to give you two quick things as we move towards 2024 as limited human beings. Here's the first thing I want to give you. We can experience joy in our limitations when we fear God when we fear God. So verses 12 and 14 both talk about the fear of God. Verse says his steadfast love is towards those who fear him. Verse 14 talks about how his compassion is towards those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. And these verses are not saying that uh, that, 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 uh, that, that, that the fear of God earns God's love and compassion. We can't earn God's love and compassion. What these verses are trying to say, that God's love and compassion are experienced by those who fear him. Are experienced by those who fear him. Let me explain. When the Bible talks about fear, we tend to think that the Bible tells us to fear God and that's synonymous with being scared of God. But let me tell you, when the Bible talks about fear, it's so much deeper than that. When the Bible talks about fear, it's not simply talking about being scared of God, it's talking about being aware of God. It's not only talking about being scared of God. It's less being scared of God. It's more being aware of God. Fear is the acknowledgement that God and the weightiness of who he is is always present among us. And fear is me saying, listen, I'm going to respond. My life is going to be a response to the weightiness of who God is. So let me go back to that analogy of the undercover boss. The person who flouted the rules of the company would not have done that if they knew that the CEO was among them. They wouldn't have done that. Hang with me. The fear of God is the acknowledgement that the ruler of the nations and the CEO of the galaxies is always among us, that he's in the room right now, and that I'm gonna live my life in proper response to his weightiness. That's what the fear of God is. He's the most weighty reality in our lives, not the opinions of other people, not what other people expect of me. He's the most weighty, and I'm going to live my life in response to that. So here's the practical part of the sermon. One of the ways that we fear God is this. We fear God when we acknowledge the weightiness of his presence when we set our priorities. When we set our priorities. As we move into 2024 and we set goals and we have a view of what 2024 has in store for us, hear me this morning. If God is weighty in your life, he'll be most weighty as you set those goals and priorities. So let me say something that might step on toes this morning. I can do this because I only preach here maybe twice a year. I'm going back to Arlington this week. And so I'm going to let Mike and David pick up the pieces of this. But hear this. One of the reasons why many of us are experiencing so much anxiety about our limits is because we're trying to please God and we're trying to please everybody else at the same time. For many of you, it's not that you don't consider God as you set your goals and priorities. It's this. It's just this. It's that people are as weighty or more weighty as God is in your life. And so you're trying to please everybody. You're looking at your schedule and you're like, man, my, work, my coworkers work 80 hours a week. And so I guess I'm going to work 80 hours a week because I'm scared that, or what they're going to think about me if I'm not doing the same thing as they are. Some of you, you look at other parents and you're like, man, other parents got their kids in like French class and karate and chess and horseback riding. And people are going to think I'm a poor parent if I don't do all those things. I don't know what it is, but let me tell you this morning. Fear God. Fear God. God is more weighty than people. Live to please God and trust him with the opinions of other people. Hear me this morning. When you follow God's priorities, somebody is going to be upset that you're not following their priorities. And guess what? That's okay. That's okay. Hear me. What if we created our priorities with the acknowledgement that you can't do it all, and yet, God, you are here and your presence is most weighty? What if, what if we went into this new year setting our goals and priorities for this next year with these two questions? God, what priorities do you want me to have this year? What if we walked into this year with open hands? God, what do you want me to do this next year? And then two, God, how do you want these priorities to be reflected in my goals for 2024? The priorities that you've given me, how do you want these to be reflected in my goals for 2024? Let let me help you with this. God has given all of us the same priorities. He wants all of us to know him. He wants all of us to make him known. However, in all of our individual lives, those priorities are going to be expressed in different ways, depending on your stage of life, your gifts, and your abilities. But I want you to hear me today. There's so much I can say. But before I move on, hear this. If you are using the idea of limits as an excuse to be lazy towards the commands of God, you are using them wrong. God has given you what you need to do all that he has called you to do, and those who love God are going to be serious about obeying God and what he's called them to do, all right? So we can experience joy in our limitations when we fear God. Here's the next thing. We can experience joy in our limitations when we depend on community, Man, you guys are going to come back out. And so I love it here. Verse 14, David uses plural pronouns. He says he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And I love it because David is declaring here, he's not just talking about himself, that he's fragile and time-bound and dust. He's saying we all are. Every single one of us are limited, which means that every single one of us are dependent. We need one another. And this is why I love how Jesus describes his church as a body. All these different kinds of people, look around this room, that make up this body of Christ. People with different gifts, different abilities, different capacities, all united in the fact that we have limitations. We see this in 1 Corinthians 12, all these different people, one body. And God gives his church a lot to do. It gives us a lot. God tells us to remember the poor, and to gather together, and to care for the vulnerable, and to share the gospel to the nations, and to visit the prisoner, and to care for the orphan. We have all this stuff, and if we're not careful, we tend to believe that God has called us individually to do all that the church is called to do. And we look around and we're like, yo, I don't, I don't have the time to do that. But hear me this morning. One of the reasons why we are collectively called the body of Christ is because you cannot accomplish by yourself all that God wants to do in the world. You can't do it by yourself. You need the church. You need the church. Hear me, in the church, we always feel this low-grade guilt when we approach the scriptures, don't we? We look at all the things that God has called the church to do, and if you're like me, you're thinking, how in the world am I supposed to do all of this right now? How do I care for the widow in DC? And then also, how do I share the gospel to the unreached in Yemen at the same time? How do I care for my family? How do I serve the poor? How do I visit the prisoner? That's a lot. And then we come to the church and then we hear the verse, how Jesus says, come to me all who are weary laden, weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And we look up and we're like, rest where? God, how am I supposed to experience rest? When I can't keep track of all the things that you've given me, and watch out Gabe, and this is what we're doing. We're trying to play all the notes at the same time. And hear me, it's a mess, because we're trying to do individually all that God has called the church to do. And listen, the beauty of the body of Christ is this, is that we're not alone. You are not called to do individually we are called to obey God fearlessly and completely, but you are not called to do individually all that God, God, that, all that God has called the church to do corporately, right? It takes a body of Christians to be all that God calls us to be in the world. So hear me today. Instead of playing all the notes, what if I did this in full obedience, within the limits that God has given me, what if I played my note? What note do I play? I'm right there. All right. What if I played my note with with, with full obedience, with all the gifts and the abilities and the limits that God has given me? And then Gabe, what do you play your note? And then what if the whole body of Christ played their notes together? Y'all, what you experience is beauty. This is what you experience. Hear me, we need to depend on each other to be all that God has called his church to be. We need to be this together. You see me today, we need to depend on each other to be all that God has called the church to be, but we also need to depend on each other just to make it through life. Amen. Y'all, we need each other. There are people around you who have incredible gifts and incredible experiences that you don't have. And one of the ways in which we experience the compassion of God in the body of Christ is this: to admit that we can't play all the notes, Amen. to admit that we don't got it all together to admit that we're not superheroes, and that's okay, and I need my brother and my sister to help me, to bear me up, to use their gifts and their abilities that God has given them for us to be all that we need to be to each other. This is what we need, and so hear me today. Yo, you don't have it all together. The fact that you are in this church right now, the fact that you are declaring that, hey, I need the gospel. You are already declaring that you don't have it all together, that you are messed up and that you need the grace of God. And if far be it for us to declare that generally, I need the gospel. And not be willing to share that specifically with our brothers and sisters so we can experience the compassion of God through the body of the church. We need each other. You don't have it together, guys. Join a church. Get in a church group. Be honest about where you are at. Let other people serve you for one. Receive the limits that God has given you rather than trying to play all the notes. Because hear me this morning, we have a God in heaven who knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. So as we go into 2024, I'm gonna put those questions back on the screen. So I want you guys really quickly, I want you just to, just to reflect on these questions for a couple of moments and then I'm gonna close us in prayer. So go for it. Father, we are incredibly weak. We are incredibly fragile. And when I think about the people in this room that I know and I think about this past year, I think about the many things that many people that I know have walked through and it's felt like, it's felt like it's gonna break them. I know many people in this room have wondered, God, how in the world am I gonna make it through? I'm not a superhero. But we stand before you knowing that you don't see us like that, that you know our frame, that you know that we're not superhuman, you know that we are fragile, you know that we are time-bound, you know that we are limited, you know that we are weak, and you don't meet us in our weakness with anger, you don't meet us in our weakness with try harder, you meet us in our weakness with compassion. Thank you, Father, for being merciful to us. Thank you for reaching down. And when we flouted the limits of obedience, you came down and you reached us with your matchless grace. And Father, when we felt so small because of the limitations of our bodies, many times, many days, we looked at what we had in front of us and we, and we think we can't do it. Thank you so much that you see us in our limitations. And you know our frame, and you remember that we're dust. And so I pray for the people under the sound of my voice. God, I pray they'll experience your deep, steadfast love and compassion today. And I pray that they'll know to the depths of your soul that a bruised reed you will not quench. A bruised reed you will not break. That you love us, that you are a good shepherd, that you are gentle with us. As the Father shows compassion to us children, so you, the Lord, show compassion to those who fear you. So, Father, would you help us? We love you. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. If you agree, say, Amen. amen.